Hi, and welcome to the Freedomology Podcast. My name is Julie Christensen. I'm an international speaker, author, and a registered psychotherapist with a thriving private practice in beautiful Niagara region in Ontario, Canada. I am so excited to be bringing you this podcast, which is intended to explore the concepts of freedom in all its forms. Why Freedomology, you ask? As I consider the trajectory of my own life and the lives of people I work with, a common theme has emerged. That is, the notion that we often spend so much time trying to please others to win approval, we end up neglecting the person we were created to be. As a result, we end up anxious, depressed, because we're bound by others' expectations of us. We end up taking jobs that will make our parents proud, but that suck the joy out of our lives. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. We wear clothes that other people approve of. We end up bound by the court of popular opinion. When we do this, when we allow this, we find ourselves desperately seeking freedom. Financial freedom, spiritual freedom, relationship freedom, physical freedom, emotional freedom. So as I considered all of these things, the concept of freedomology was born. I'd like to take credit for the awesome name of this podcast, but that creative stroke of genius is created to my business advisor and friend, Alan Filer, who has been a huge supporter of my work since we started 16 years ago. Let me tell you this. When you find your tribe... Surround yourself with people who want nothing from you except to see you succeed. When you break away from the chains of expectations and other people's designs for your life, you'll begin to get a taste of freedom. This podcast is here to introduce you to people who have already done and are still doing that work, and they're providing you insights so that you can get there too. We're going to have fun. We're going to learn a lot, and we're going to grow even more. My guest today is Leslie Harper, and we have Leslie on. I'm so excited to have Leslie on because we are launching today, August 1st, Emancipation Day. And what better day to launch a podcast called Freedomology than on Emancipation Day in Canada. So Leslie Harper, uh, at the age of 50, she wondered what she was going to do with the rest of her life. And it was 2004. She was recovering from a car accident that had left her fatigued and unable to work. And so this St. Catherine's resident took a business course and decided that she would marry that with her passion, which is her family's rich history. Leslie is a direct descendant of a freedom seeker who arrived in Niagara in 1850. Her great great grandfather fled slavery in Kentucky with his brother and his nine year old sister. They hiked thousands of kilometers alone by night, slogged through swamps, and swam across rivers and eventually crossed the Niagara River near Buffalo, New York, and settled along the northern shore of Fort Erie. Harper says that her great-grandfather, who was born free in Canada, left the country to fight in the Civil War, and she started her Niagara-bound tours nearly 12 years ago. Leslie is a professional with many years of experience in travel and tourism. She has a focus on exemplary customer service and provides friendly, flexible, informative, historical tours that are fun and informative. Niagara Bound Tours takes in several historical spots around St. Catharines, Niagara-on-the-Lake, and Fort Erie, Ontario, 
And these spots are intended to provide people with a unique insight into the migration of African Americans as they escaped slavery in the mid 19th century and settled in Southern Ontario. Tours include points where freedom seekers cross the Niagara River, a church that Harriet Tubman, a freedom seeker who settled in Niagara, helped to build and worship in, and the landing point of Josiah Hansen, believed to be the inspiration for a character in Uncle Tom's Cabin. Along the tour, Leslie tells stories, explaining challenges that those forced to flee the slave states overcame, and her tours also shed light on the Underground Railroad, a network of people who hid and guided slaves north to freedom. I'm super excited to have you with me. Leslie is my dear friend. I have to give full disclosure to the audience. <laughs> Leslie and I have known each other for a long time, since about ooh, 2001. And she is just a mainstay in my life. I'm really glad to have her on the show and to talk about all things freedom. Welcome, Leslie. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Um, my big thing when I went into this was a head injury and I kept getting fired. Wow. So I had, to keep rise, I had to figure out what am I going to do with the rest of my life. And it's been more than 12 years, but thank you for the compliment. <laughs> it's going to be phenomenal. Thank you. I am sure that, that we're going to have some really interesting, if, you know, if nobody else hears these things, I'm having loads of really fun. There you go. Uh, so Leslie, tell me a little bit about your family history. We heard a little bit in the intro, but can you fill in some of the blanks for us? Well, there was my, my family that came from Kentucky, and there's um, a story I share on the tour, and I'll share now about those two brothers and the nine-year-old sister. At one point in their travels, they had fallen asleep, and something woke the boys up that frightened them so badly that they ran a quarter of a mile before they realized they'd left their baby sister behind sleeping in a log. And they didn't walk away. They came back. They went back to get that baby sister so they could all arrive in Fort Erie eventually together. And whether they came through Buffalo or not, I don't know which way. They may have come through um, Detroit, Windsor, for all I know, because they were coming from Kentucky. But the fact that they that they didn't do that, you know, some ways I think sometimes a lot of the freedom seekers, the stories that you hear about them, they were better people than we are now in some cases because Family was important. You didn't hear the things you might hear now. Well, I wasn't going to go back and get them. I would end up, you know, they, none of those excuses. They just went back and they arrived. And I wish I'd had those stories when I was younger because um, I think it would have helped with my self-esteem and my growth and knowledge over the years. But when I asked my family, you know, um, were we part of, I always knew about Underground Railroad and I used to think it was tunnels myself, which it isn't. Um, but I asked my family, were we part of the Underground Railroad and was told, never mind that, you're here now. And it wasn't until I, I was an adult in my 20s that my great uncle, my grandmother's brother, um, I think he had a switch that was like, yeah, maybe we should tell these stories. So he shared, but there's so much of it that was lost because it was just never told. And when people talk about the textbook, thing and not the books not the books it's like i apologize for that as a part of that history when we came to canada that was not our main thing to go after we had to put a roof over our head we had to put food in our stomachs we had to figure out what we were doing we had to figure out how to deal with winter mm -hmm. so when people say that and we had in my family i don't know if all the families had them but we had family bibles so we knew where we came from and how are we supposed to know that eventually our history was going to become an important part of the fabric 
of the history of Canada. I think the other thing that that we need to remember too, when we think about whose stories get put in the textbooks and, and what narrative gets put in the textbook, I understand your family wanting to say, let's not talk about that. Yeah. Because that's a history rooted in trauma. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And we don't know. I mean, I, I went and watched the movie Harriet, and I know that you were concerned about some of the historical inaccuracies and whatnot. But even so, I know they have to fictionalize it and dramatize it in order to make it, you know, a movie. Unfortunately. So I took that with a grain of salt. But I'll tell you what. My husband and I went to see that in the theater. I was the only black person in the audience. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe it, but I was the only black person in the audience. Everyone else in the audience was white. And when the credits started to roll, you could have heard a pin drop. People were so surprised, so awed by what they learned about this yes. incredible woman. And not just her tenacity, but the horrors that slaves went through. You know, like it was. I think the portrayal of that was really good. And so I sat there while the credits rolled and I watched the other people in the audience because I wanted to see how they were mm -hmm. responding. I know how I was feeling, mm -hmm. but I wanted to see how everyone else was responding. And um, I I was gratified to see that they weren't just going, oh, well, that was good. No, no, and they weren't. Yeah, like they were really, they were sitting there and they were contemplating yeah. and they were thinking about what does this mean for yeah. this generation now, you know? And I went with my white friends and they were, my girlfriend was crying because people just aren't aware. And, that it, and I don't think we should condemn them because they aren't aware. Right. We you know, I think it's mean to do that. Responsibility to educate people. And I agree with you on that because, you know, I hear a lot of people saying, it's not my responsibility to teach you how to be not racist. But if you are depending on other people who also don't know how not to be racist to teach you, how will you ever learn? Listen, I don't know how to teach people. I, I find this whole thing, this whole anti-racist, you know, I find it really hard. Like I, because I, I've lived here all my life and I, you know, they always say, make people feel uncomfortable. I'm like, hell no. People make me feel uncomfortable. I avoid it. And that's not, to me, that's not what we want. And people aren't allowed to talk about it. People aren't allowed to join. If you're not one of the so-called victim groups, you're not allowed to join a certain group. To me, it's like, it's, it, I just don't think it's going to work. I really, in my heart and soul, I feel badly because there are things that could help. But I find that that other group is louder. I think have more time than I do. <laughs> And I just wish they would, would listen, but I don't think they will. I've been, you know, those of us who were here for generations have been called Uncle Tom's and Step and Fetch It. So the dark history is not for the slaves. It, it's not really applicable to the slaves who escaped. It's more applicable to the people who enslaved them. I guess you could say that, but people look at the Blacks who were enslaved as being part of dark Black tourism, whatever, dark tourism. They're not looking at the ones who perpetrated the slavery. Yeah. And it's interesting. I did an interview, and when we want to slam, when we use the word colonization, I think that's a swear word now. I think it's a subliminal word that's used because something people don't think about. The church here in St. Catharines, and there was one in Fort Erie, there's one in Niagara Falls, all over Ontario, Freedom Seeker Churches, African Methodist Episcopal. What if they changed the name of their church to BME. British yeah. Methodist 
Episcopal, which I did an interview with a man from England. And I said, I guess we forgave you Brits. Like you may have been the big slave traders, but you're also the ones that freed us. And we embraced it. And God saved the queen. Generations of us, God saved the queen. So we ended up embracing our captors, if you will, in the end, or forgiving them, which is the Christian way, right? Mm -hmm. So when we're all colonization's bad you know white people are horrible makes it i just i just have a different way of thinking about it because i live with it all the time oh what you just said there that really i don't know that really hit me different though like this whole idea of embracing our captors right and i understand you know it's a very christian thing to do but i think that again because i'm coming at this you're coming at this through a historical as a historian and and a tourism operator whereas i'm coming at this through the lens of a therapist and again i see that as a trauma response maybe a stockholm i think so it feels like a trauma response to me to say you know we're free now we can call our churches whatever we want but you know These people here in Canada, they've been really kind to us and they've given us a home and they still have a relationship with the Brits. So maybe we should do this. It almost feels like it's a grander scale way of going along to get along. But you know what? But that's the other, um, that's what makes it difficult sometimes for me to do things in Black history here in Canada. We think we were nice. You know, it wasn't all peaches and cream here. I mean, I have had Americans get on the bus you have racism in Canada? I go, we have people here in Canada. So of course. And when they came here, it wasn't that easy. And there were people who resented. Right. I yeah. mean, it was land that was free, but the people in it weren't necessarily welcoming. There weren't a lot of jobs here. The, you had the Irish were also having a tough time. They got by, but I don't think it was all peaches and cream either. No, certainly not. And, you know, like if we look at the history, even just in Halifax and Dartmouth and, and different history themes there, I mean, they had a really difficult time, right? Yep. And different perspective. But, uh, you know, you go, we still have a Ku Klux Klan organization in Essex County for crying out loud. And I think there's three left in Canada, but they haven't taken out my membership. So they haven't invited me to join. I, I remember finding a Ku Klux Klan pin in Niagara on the Lake because there used to be Ku Klux Klan there. So it wasn't, and then we had slavery here in Canada, which a lot of people like, yeah, slavery. I mean, Canadians don't know that we had slavery in Canada. So when they're doing all these, you know, going back in history and changing, they want it, Dundas Street's now going to be changed. And I think they really have to look at the time. And this guy, Dundas, that they're changing Dundas Street. He advocated for the gradual abolition of slavery. Now, slavery was bad. I'm not saying it wasn't. It was happening all over the world. Everybody bought into these Africans being used, right? Yeah. And I'm not making excuses for that. That's the way it was. He was actually being a good politician because he was practicing the art of compromise, which politics was supposed to be. So when you look at it from that point of view, he offered gradual abolition of slavery mm-hmm. so that it wouldn't have the impact north and south all over the world you know what i mean so and you have to look at the time and you also have to look at what else was he doing that made people think he was such a great guy but that's that wasn't discussed it was looked at thoroughly but only from the one side i think because the reality is that there are lots of people in the world doing really awesome things who are also racist of course so i don't think 
You know, it's yeah. like we can abolish racism by changing a street name. And I yeah. think that's what the optics are. Yeah, but they're not doing deeper than that. Yeah. To me, I still think we should be using these things to educate. I look at younger people and they're not having as many issues with race and culture as even my generation mm-hmm. now still has. Yeah. And know? the reality is that discomfort is temporary. So we're going to make people feel uncomfortable for a, for a while and they'll watch themselves for a while. But if the attitudes don't change, if they don't learn how to be different and why and they should be different. comfortable to ask a question. They're not allowed to ask a question. I mean, I have my own things with some groups of people that I'm not familiar with or weren't a part of my world. I remember years ago that by the time we had the influx of other peoples coming in, Blacks, my mother and I would go to Toronto, we'd be the only Blacks we would see the whole weekend. And then in the 60s, 70s, it changed more I saw it more in the 70s. But we kind of set the pace because we didn't we didn't rock the boat. We got along. We did what we had to do in Southwestern entrepreneurs, education. In Niagara, more in my area, anyway, in Fort Erie, it was more my ancestors were more agriculture labor. My mother worked in a doctor's office. And we made it comfortable that we didn't look like a threat anymore. So when the next wave of Blacks came in, I think they had better opportunities than my Black group had, for sure. So I don't think making people uncomfortable, my observation, is the way to go. No, I mean, it's not a good long-term strategy at, at the very least. I mean, we all need to have a certain measure of discomfort in order to be want, willing to change, right? Like, we're not going to change if everything is fine, if everything feels good. We're not, we're not motivated to change. So there does need to be a certain level of discomfort or dissatisfaction awareness. in order to change. But you also need to have a good understanding of what the current problem is. And you have to have a clear picture of that something better for everyone. That comes down to how do you communicate with me? How do you treat me as a person? Do you see me as qualified for the job, even though my skin is brown? Those are the questions that we need to be asking, right? Not... Yeah. Could we keep this statue up because this guy turned out to be racist? Heck, the guy you worked for just last week is probably racist. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, we have exactly. to be a little less worried about what everything looks like, you know, the shiny surface. And let's get down to the deep stuff where it matters. Yeah, taking down all these statues I find rather disturbing. And I think I told, I think it was you I spoke to earlier. I said, so now we have to change the name of Brantford, yeah. Brant Street. Because Joseph Brandt owned and sold enslaved people, and it is recorded and accurate. Mm. But there are some that I knew in the, in, when I worked at the Toronto Board of Education that would insist that people like Joe, nobody else could be racist except white people. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's... Only white people can be racist. And there used to be a thing I grew up with that where we admitted, we used to say everybody has prejudices and bigotries. Yeah. I think and that I would facilitate more discussion, I think. I think so. Yeah. I think where people struggle with that distinction is that if we're looking at racism as a system, then the people who have control over the system and perpetuate that racism, you know, statistically speaking, that's typically the white blonde male. <laughs> right. Here. But not to say that other people who also rose to power and privilege did not abuse that system or take advantage of that system. Right. So let's talk a little bit about Emancipation Day. Talk a little bit about the history of Emancipation Day in Niagara and the celebration 
that we used to have here. Can you speak to that a little bit? Well, you know, my family, when I was little, in our household, that was the event. That was the the biggest event of their lives. That was the the event of the year. It was the biggest thing. And I didn't even know. I'm in Fort Erie. Port Dalhousie could have been in Vancouver for all I knew. I just, I never went there when I was a kid. It was over by the time I was born. But it was a huge event. It was talked about all the time. Four to six thousand people and I was thinking about it this morning and I'm thinking why didn't they resurrect Lakeside Park with the pier being open and and start building that up again four to six thousand people used to attend Mm -hmm. and there's a man in Fort Erie that I've known and he would tell the story of that it would be the first Thursday because it was Thursday August 1st that emancipation came into effect and so it'd be on a Thursday. So it'd be a work day and all these people would be there, all dressed up, you know, wearing their finest. And this man told told us, tells us, told a story to my groups that he would go with his buddies and they'd see, they'd be eyeing a girl and they'd be all ready to make their moves. Like, Boy, don't you know that's your cousin? <laughs> so then they'd eye another girl, they'd be these girls and that's your cousin. <laughs> but then they decide, oh, we'll just go swimming. Yeah. <laughs> many of us were related, you know, because so many went back to the U.S. after the Civil War that there weren't a lot of us still here. So there was a lot of that intermingling, if you will. So mm-hmm. and it happens all the time, all the time. And so it was a day long celebration. Was it was it just like everybody brought their own food? Did they well, have music? What did they have? Swimming and the carousel and. Up until I can tell you, I came to tr- I came to live in St. Catharines, I believe, in '93, and it was still happening then. And Ruth Bell, lovely woman, she would call me to let me know it was happening. And and the man who organized it moved out of the area in 1951, I believe it was. So, and I don't talk about Port Dalhousie that much anymore because there's so many other things to talk about, plus the destruction of that area just i just mentioned it very briefly in passing but i believe it was 1951 or thereabouts that it stopped because the man quit organizing it but people would still come and even into the 90s they were still having the picnic and they would have a very small group of people no biggie but people were coming in from georgia because their families had talked about it Mm. they're coming in from georgia they're coming in from alabama they're that or they're coming in from Washington. Those were the people I met that came to this place because they had heard about it from their families. Those listeners outside of the Niagara region, uh, one of our historical landmarks burned to the ground, sadly, just this past week. Uh, and at the time of recording, just so you understand, in terms of the timeline, we're recording today, July fifteenth. So it the building burned down on Monday. This is Thursday today. Uh, And it burned down on Monday. And uh, so I was not aware of the great history behind the Welland House. So Leslie, can you tell us a little bit about that and the Welland House's connection to Black history in Niagara? This building was built in 1853. And this is another incident in St. Catharines where, oh my gosh, it was built because we had spas, salt water spas 
in St. Catharines. And the natives, when, when they, the First Nations indigenous people, that was very sacred to them. And, and they've evolved and then they built these three hotels in the area. And one of them was the Welland House that burned up. The last one was the Welland House. And it hadn't really, when was the last year? I can't remember. I'm not going to say the year, but it was the history. People, it was like this, St. Catharines was, was one of the number one destinations in North America because of these spas that they had with their healing powers and grand hotels and people that, and it's interesting during the civil war, Jefferson Davis, general of the Confederate army was there. That's where the Confederate officers would meet as well as living in the Niagara region. A lot of people don't realize during the civil war, some of the officers lived right in Niagara on the lake. And because it was a safe place to discuss their plans, it's rumored, I don't know how true it is that John Wilkes Booth, plotted Abraham Lincoln's assassination. Mary Todd Lincoln was brought here after Abraham Lincoln was assassinated to calm her and soothe her nerves, having already lost a child and now she's lost her husband. She was here. Royalty is, is to have visited here as well. It was quite the place. And when freedom seekers first arrived in St. Catherine's area, this is the kind of work they would do. Servitude type you know, waiters and so on. It's as same as on the U.S. side, they would participate in hotels. And on the U.S. side, during the time of the Underground Railroad, many of the servers, Black servers in the Niagara Falls, New York hotel would act as agents for the Underground Railroad and assist people to freedom on that side. Mm-hmm. But here they worked. And one of the stories that I read just recently since the Welland House burned down was the reaction between the enslaved people that came with their white masters, for lack of a better word, enslavers. A lot of people would come up from the South and um, stay up here because it was cooler. So you'd have those people coming up, but they bring their enslaved with them. And you had the enslaved person trying to relate to the servers and people that worked in the hotel who were free. And they almost couldn't it was just so strange. It's like, you look like me, but you're not like me at all. You know, because now these people have been here for a while. They were free. They're doing what they want to do. And they're trying to talk to these enslaved people. The courthouse here in St. Catharines, I'm worried about it now. Because I, I, it's in better shape, I believe, than the Welland House was. But because there's people, there's offices or sometimes they rent in there. But I worry about it as well. And um, Frederick Douglass spoke there, you know? Yes, yeah. You know, it would, I, I'm not from the Niagara region. I'm a, I'm a transplant uh, and I am not Canadian born. <laughs> so I'm one of the beneficiaries of the immigrant programs of the 70s and came up in a different environment in a different city at a different time. And one of the things I love about being in Niagara is the rich history that we're able to access, but there's still so much of it that we don't know about. Exactly. And I am so grateful that we have people like you. I mean, every time I sit down with you, I learn something new about, <laughs> about Black history in, in Niagara and in Canada in general. But, you know, if we didn't have people like you who were so passionate about this and willing to just share that knowledge at every turn, so much of it would be lost. Well, as old friends often do, Leslie and I got carried away and we ended up talking for over an hour. If you'd like to listen to the interview in its entirety, 
do not despair. I'll be coming back with a second half and airing the second half of Leslie's interview at a later date. If you'd like to see the whole thing and you can't wait for us to air the second half, watch for it at Leverage UTV, our YouTube channel, and see us chatting away about all sorts of things. We pretty much solve all the problems of the world in our one hour conversation. So please hop on over to my YouTube channel, Leverage UTV, where you can watch the entire interview or you can hang around and keep listening to Freedomology and you'll get the second half of our interview in the days to come. So we're going to pick up our conversation with Leslie talking about how the civil rights movement started in the Niagara region. In Niagara region, and I take you to the place where the concept of the NAACP first happened. And the name, it was called the Niagara Movement, not because of Niagara Falls. It's not because it was close to Niagara Falls, but because of the Niagara River. And the Niagara River has one of the fastest running currents in the world. And they wanted to eradicate segregation and lynchings and Jim Crow as fast as the Niagara River moved. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That is a cool piece of history that I didn't know. There's a whole bunch of history that I share with people along the way. And then, of course, we come up to St. Catharines and I talk about Anthony Burns. It's buried in Victoria Lawn Cemetery. And I saw a, a sketch the National Park Service had at Fennel Hall in Boston. And if you could see the thousands and thousands of people that were on that street to see that man who was who had escaped slavery, come up to Boston, was arrested, and of course found guilty, as they all were. And he, when he, he was being taken to be put on the boat in Boston to go back into slavery, they put him in a suit and a top hat. And there were thousands and thousands, there, there were riots in Boston and in New York. He's buried at Victoria Lawn Cemetery in St. Catharines. How? How what? How? How did he get here? You have to come on the tour to find out. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> but there's just, and then of course the Harriet Tubman story, which is, there's so much more to that story. And there's things that Niagara Bound's doing next year. I'll be doing, hopefully be doing a bunch of different tours in New York State with the consortium taking, you know, certain sections. I can't wait to do the Adirondacks and Hudson Bay are so beautiful. And beautiful people doing the work there as well. And then I'm working with the um, the tourism, the state tourism department of Maryland. We're going to start put to, putting together a Harriet Tubman trail up into Canada. I really would like to see us become a part of the civil rights trail. As my great uncle used to say, and all the people on my tour, I always finish my tour with these lines that you don't give up, you keep going till you can't go no more. <laughs> that's who, that's where we come from. And that's what we do. We aren't victims. You just keep going till we can't go no more. Don't give up. I mean, never, never. Lee Harper, thank you so much for being here of our first Freedomology podcast. It's been an amazing conversation with you. I always love talking with you because I learned so much. And I love personally, I love the fact that you are not so concerned with PC, that you're just gonna, you're just gonna share your heart, whatever that is. And yeah. you know that I'm always on this end receiving what you have to share. So thank, thank you. you. Um, I would, I'm going to make sure that the audience knows how to find you, but your Thank website you. is niagarabounddtours.com and they can book online now to come on it on the car caravan tour. And then of course, when the motor coaches start up and they ever want to bring a group, that's always available as well. But I had to, I hate the word pivot, but I had to reinvent a little bit, private tours, 
but my whole objective is to tell the black history story. So I even do Zoom events if they like. Check her out, you guys, niagarabountours.com. Thank you. And uh, do yourself a favor, book a tour, go and and follow her around, listen to all of that wisdom that she has downloaded from her ancestors and from the history books and from that oral tradition and learn more about who it's we amazing history. come from and the great uh, history that is unspoken but still alive in Niagara. Absolutely. And happy Emancipation Day, y'all. Happy Emancipation Day, everyone. Celebrate that freedom and never take it for granted. We will see you again soon in our next episode of Freedomology. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Thanks for, Julie. for watching on YouTube. Appreciate Thank it you. so much. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Freedomology. Please reach out to me. Let me know how you're enjoying the show. Do you have any suggestions for us? Any guests that you'd love for us to interview? You can share your feedback, thoughts, and comments with us on our Instagram page at leverage underscore you. That is leverage underscore you. While we appreciate open, honest communication, we please ask that you keep your comments respectful. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you. Until next time, this is your host, Julie Christensen, saying farewell, be well, and live well. Thanks for listening to Freedomology.